together. God, we know that you have a vision for this world. You are a visionary God, and you see a world that someday will be, um, will be an awesome and beautiful place because evil will have been put away and there will be no more violence and death, no more hatred, no more brokenness, no more, no more suffering. And Lord, we know we're called to be part of transforming this world wherever we're able to do so. And, and even right now, God, we come to pray for the people of Paris and the people of France who really have been traumatized by such an awful event that's taken place. Um, God, we would pray uh, for those who have been injured and are struggling to survive. We pray for healing for them. And we pray for comfort. God, we would pray for the families who are, which are grieving. And we pray that you would be with them in a powerful way, Father, that you would reveal yourself as the God of all comfort and that you would sustain them and that you would carry them through. God, for the people of Paris and the people of France, we pray that they would somehow come to know that there is a, is a God in heaven and that security and strength and peace are found in you. And we pray that, Lord, you would give that country everything that it needs right now uh, to move forward well. Father, we think of um, those who have perpetrated this uh, cruel and awful thing and the many who are like them in this world. And we pray, Lord God, that good would overcome evil. We pray through, again, your intervention, Father, because ultimately it's that which will produce the result. We pray, our God, that hatred and violence would cease. We pray particularly for the Middle East and, and for Europe, where there's just turmoil in so many ways with refugee crisis and wars. God, intervene, we pray, and make things right. Lord, we think of uh, the leaders of the G20 gathering together uh, today in, in Turkey, our own prime minister there. And we pray for him, Lord. We're called to pray for our, our leaders, and we pray for our prime minister. Uh, he's so new to the job, and Lord, all of a sudden, he's confronted with the reality of, uh, of what we have seen. And we pray, Lord, that you would enable him to lead us well, that you would enable him... God, to uh, do what is required, that we might, yes, be a compassionate nation, but also might be safe. Lord, such a balance and such a challenge that he has, and with his cabinet, we ask, God, that you would enable them. And for the leaders who are gathering together, we pray that you would um, really work, that you would be in that room, that you would influence minds and hearts, and that somehow, Lord, a solution would be found, and we might move forward together into a different world than what we observed uh, the other night. Lord, we're looking for you to do great things in this world. And by our prayer now, in the powerful name of Jesus, we ask for change. We pray for peace. And we pray for healing. And we pray for the dominance and the power of love in this world. God bless us now as we turn our thoughts again to your word and to the topic at hand. Speak to us each, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, there's a passage uh, in the New Testament that I love. It's actually the pinnacle of one of the Gospels, one of the kind of central point of, of, of one of the uh, stories of the life of Jesus. And it's, it's uh, a time when Jesus has done a lot of significant things, you know. Um, he, he the, the Messiah or Christ, depending on which language, Greek or Hebrew, you're referring to, he is the anointed one of God and he has come into this world and he has begun to do ministry at 30 years of age. And People are, who are blind are coming to see. People who are lame are now walking. The dead have been raised to new life. Like dramatic action of God is happening through Jesus. And people are talking, which is not a bad thing. And uh, 
Jesus knew that, and he turned to his followers, and he said, who do people say that I am? And his followers said, well, some of you think, some think you're Elijah raised from the dead. Others think you're one of the prophets, and so forth. And, um, and then he turned to his disciples himself, his, his 12 closest uh, colleagues, followers. And he asked a critical question that is so, so important for every single human being to ask, to answer. Um, and, he, and he says essentially to them, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say I am? I don't know whether you've grappled with that question yet, but if you haven't, I hope you will, because what unfolds in the story of Jesus is that he is the eternal son of God. The, he is God who came and walked among us, died on a cross, ascended to heaven, where he rules uh, from today. But he, he asked his disciples the question, and, and, and Peter, that outspoken disciple whom we have spoken of recently, who often got the wrong answer or thought the wrong way, this time he gets it right. And in response to Jesus' questions, he says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Wow, this is who you are. This series that we're in now, started last week, is about identity, who we are in Christ, who we are um, at the core of our being. Um, and it's so interesting that as Peter responded to Jesus, he says the same thing essentially that God the Father said to Jesus at his baptism when Jesus, got, Jesus heard from heaven, you are my dearly loved son, you bring me great joy. You're my dearly loved son. And Peter said, you are the son of the living God, um, the Messiah. Um, I love the question Jesus asked, and I want to turn it around a little bit today. Because I think the question of this series isn't so much Jesus asking us who we think he is. The series is about us asking Jesus who he thinks we are. It's like us coming along to the Lord and saying, God, who am I at my core? Who, who am I really? You know, in, in, in the heart of, of my life, what is my identity? What would you say, God? Because whatever God says is truth. It is reality. Um, we started last week into this topic with the realization that very, very often people uh, and even followers of Jesus... Uh, live out of a, a sense of false identity. They have believed some of the lies which the world or the devil or even people have spoken into our lives and we think that's who we are. And it really can be a destructive thing. Uh, and I asked people to go home from here last week and boy, I hope you have done this, but I, I asked, get into the presence of God in that quiet place that you have in your home and ask the Holy Spirit of God to reveal to you who you think you are to reveal to you maybe the false identity that you've embraced. I really trust that when we do that, that God will speak, and that God will open our minds and help us to see the reality of what's going on here that can actually be harmful to us. So I hope you've done that, and if you haven't, do it still. Because when we come to an understanding of what our false identity is, then we have the opportunity to reject it and to say no to it, and to discover the true identity that is given to us by God. And that's really what this is about. And we're going to dig into God's word over these next weeks and, and say, Lord, tell me who I am. Tell me about me. Tell me who I really am. We're going to, uh, going to study today Luke chapter 3. Again, it was the same passage that was given reference last uh, Sunday where Jesus is baptized and the Father in heaven told Jesus the Son who he was. Let's read that together. Luke 3, 21 and 22. One day when the crowds were being baptized, Jesus himself was baptized. 
As he was praying, the heavens opened. Powerful moment. And the Holy Spirit in bodily form descended on him like a dove. It wasn't a dove, but it's the best descriptor that the author could find to describe what happened. A voice from heaven said, you are my dearly loved son, and you bring me great joy. You are my dearly loved son, and you bring me great joy. Another translation says, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So you see what was going on here in speaking these words, Jesus is given a profound sense of self, a very deep sense, an understanding of who he was which, as we discussed, enabled him to resist temptation and ultimately even to go to the cross. What I want to do today is suggest to you that this statement, God the Father to God the Son, has huge relevance for your life, if indeed you are in Christ. Um, Huge relevance for your life, especially in terms of what our identity is. And the basic idea behind this is that when we come to faith in Jesus, and I know many of you have, maybe not all of you, I don't know, but I know many of you have come to that place where you've come to trust what Jesus did on the cross and that, that you know, his death on the cross was effective for you, that you might find forgiveness of sins. And for those of you who have opened up your lives to him as Savior and as Lord and asked and received from forgiveness from God, I want to tell you what the Bible says in so many places in so many different ways is that we are made one with Christ. We are united to Christ. Um, a spiritual union is formed part of which we are very familiar with, and I'm going to give this to you in two parts. The familiar part is a remarkable thing, and I'm going to state it because there may be some people who don't know this yet, and I want you to know. But the first part of of this sense of being united with him in a spiritual way is that when we open our lives to Christ, the Lord Jesus comes to us by his Holy Spirit and dwells within us. A lot of of you will have heard that before, but it's a profound reality that in, in those quiet recesses of our hearts, all of a sudden, God is there by his spirit. God is with us. God even is in us, the Bible says. He is present to us. He's in our hearts, we say. And there's this resonance and communication and relationship between God and ourselves in a very powerful, intimate, beautiful way. So Jesus is there to enlighten our minds, for example. He's there. And all of a sudden, we're beginning to think the things of of God. See, human beings without God think in a particular way, and it's different from how God thinks. But when Christ is there, he enlightens our minds and he teaches us from Scripture, and all of a sudden we're going, oh, is that, what, is that what's really true? Yeah, that's what's really true. And we are changed because of it. You know, sometimes the Spirit of God is there and we do things that are wrong, and, God, and the Spirit of God comes to us in conviction and convicts us of sin so that we repent. And a lot of people say, oh, God, don't, don't convict me. It doesn't feel very nice. It's a huge blessing in the life of a person of Christ. A huge blessing because then we get to confess it and we get to turn away from it and we are led by God into righteousness. Um, there are times when we're broken and we're hurting and, our, and, and we're suffering and the presence of Jesus by his spirit brings us comfort that is beyond understanding and gives us peace. God is here. It's an amazing, amazing thing that he that that this is so here's the second part of our union or our oneness with jesus that we're less familiar with as christ is in me the bible says so i am in christ it's not just that christ is in me the bible says it's 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 me in him and i'm going to go to a couple of passages that are going to make you think and put on the thinking cap today okay does anybody say that anymore i guess i just did but i really want you to think I want you to study this. Ephesians 2, verses 4 to 6 says, say this. 
But God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. Now get that, when he raised Christ from the dead, who was given life? We were, all right? It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. He raised us from the dead along with Christ, and listen to this, and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. What does that mean? He seated us with him, with Jesus, in the heavenly realms in heaven because we are united with him. I'm going to talk about mystery right now. I'm going to talk about something that maybe we can't wrap our minds around particularly easily, but this is, this is the case, biblically speaking. Because of our union with Jesus, we are there in heaven with him. And that we are seated at the right hand of God the Father. Jesus is in that place of honor and distinction as King of kings and Lord of lords, sovereign, powerful, ruling king. And we are in him. Now, I don't know if you've spent any time on that one, but that's, that's a bit of a mind blower, right? But that's what te Scripture teaches. We are so connected to Christ. Not only is He in us, but we are in Him. Let me go to Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 3. Love these verses, all of them, but this, this passage in particular. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. We get that, right? Set your sights there, think about it. Verse 2, think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. That's straightforward. Give your mind, your attention to heaven, not so much here. That's significant in itself. Uh, who spends their time thinking mostly about heaven as opposed to earth? And worthy of another sermon someday, I might add. But then this, for you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. Your real life is hidden with Christ in God. Now, a lot of people might look at that and say, but isn't this my real life? You know, flesh and bones, family, church. Isn't this, yeah, this is real. But what this is saying is what's even more real, <laughs> what's really real is the fact that your life is hidden with Christ in God. Understand God is triune, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They have lived in this relationship of unity and of love for all eternity. And when you came into relationship with Jesus, when you became his, this union formed between you and him, so much so that now you are hidden with Jesus in the triune God. That's, 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 that's awesome. You, are, you participate in that relationship because you are connected intimately and spiritually to the person of Jesus, the second person of the Trinity. You are there. And that's more real than what you're experiencing right now. So says Paul. Um, I want to tell you, my friends, we need to take hold of this dynamic and this reality and believe it to our core if we are to figure out who we really are in Christ. In Christ. Go back to Luke chapter 3. Because if what I have just said is true, and we believe it is, <laughs> revealed truth by God in Scripture, if we are united with Jesus, if we are one with him, if we are caught up in his life, <laughs> um, what God the Father said to Jesus in Luke chapter 3 
is true not only about him, it's also true about us. And what God said to his son, and I would suggest to you biblically those who are caught up in his son, is you are my dearly loved child. And you bring me great joy. What do you think of that? You are my dearly loved child, God says. Precious. And you bring me, God says, God the Father, great joy. I'm telling you, my friends, this is huge. <laughs> because what, what it says when we ask the question, who are we? What is my true identity? What God says is that your true identity, if indeed you are in Christ, is that you, first and foremost, are a child of God. And that you are precious to the living God. And that he passionately and fiercely loves you. And that when he thinks of you, you bring him great joy. Um, there are a lot of people, Christians included, uh, who resist this belief. They fight it. They push it back and away. Unwilling to accept what the Bible says. And very often, at the very best, they'll receive it, but they'll minimize it as a significant truth in their lives. Um, but I want to tell you, this teaching about us being part of God's family, God being our Father, God the Father loving His children, all over the Bible. It's a core message. It's a core teaching of Scripture. Jesus, some of you might know this, He said in John chapter 3 that we have to be born again into the family of God. We have to be born spiritually into a new reality so that we become the children of God. He says, you know, the wind... <laughs> The Spirit blows like the wind, to back and forth. We don't know where it comes from. We don't know where it's going. We don't get what God's doing all the time, but it, it's active, and it is real, and it is powerful. And every now and then, the Spirit of God works in such a fashion that He um, reaches into the core of our being, and He brings us faith, and He opens our eyes through enlightening our minds and touching our hearts, and He, he, he lets us believe in Jesus, and He forms faith in us, and so that when we say yes to Him, we are birthed into a new family, birthed. Kind of cool we had a baptism today. I hadn't made the connection before. But Jesus is using a very natural process, and he's saying just like a, a child is birthed and, and comes to life, so we, by the Spirit of God, can I say it, go through the gestation period, and God works, and we struggle, and we try to figure him out, but we come to this place of saying yes to him, and all of a sudden we're a new thing, a new reality, people of faith, people who are alive in Christ, people who have Christ in us, people who are seated at the right hand of God. And what the, what the Bible was saying to us is that God loves us deeply and passionately and he, we bring him joy. I used this a few months ago, but I don't hesitate to use it again. Remember the birth of your children if you've had children. And remember the reality of what nurses normally do is take that little one just born and they, they place the little baby on the mother's chest. What happens? Bonding happens. Intimacy happens. Love is born in this moment. It doesn't take long to fall in love with your new child, right? It doesn't take any time. It's just there. It was one of the things that shocked me. Huge love, instantly. 
And then they take a little boy or girl and they clean them all or her up and they, you know, wrap them or her in a blanket and they give the baby to dad. And dad stands there blubbering like an idiot because his heart has been so deeply touched because he's so in love with this little thing that God has given. Now Jesus is taking that reality and saying, this is God in you. God has brought you to this place where you've come alive in him. You've been birthed into a new family, into a new reality, and God loves you even way more than you can love your children. And we need, he loves you so, so much, and he's so bonded to you in this uniting with Christ that there, there's, there's this intimate and powerful and loving relationship, and there is joy in his heart when he thinks of you. It just is there. It's just real. It's just powerful. No wonder, you know, in, in Luke chapter 5, Jesus tells the story of the lost sheep and the lost coin and the lost son. You might, you'll maybe know that story. And the people who are seeking for the lost one are representing God, and the lost one represents us. The lost things represent us. But every time when, you know, the seeker finds the lost one, and as Jesus said, the sinner repents... The reality is that Jesus says there is celebrating in heaven. There is joy in heaven because that lost thing has been found, because the lost son has come home. Joy. Now, how many of you really believe that in your heart? How many of you, at the core of your being, think of God thinking of you, and all that's there is powerful love and joy? Deep and real. Delight in the heart of God for his child. I want to tell you, my friends, it's there and it's real and it is for us to believe. Romans 8, another text, tells us that we get to call God and understand God, the creator of all that exists, the universe beyond us, the all-powerful God, the all-knowing God. We get to call him dad now i don't know if that's mind-blowing for you or not either but it ought to be you understand that if you are in christ you get to call god dad let me let me just read it for you romans 8 15 and 16 so you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves note the song we sang earlier we am no longer a slave to fear Apply it to your relationship with God. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father. Abba just means dad in that culture in which it was written. Dad. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. One more. It says in these verses that God chose us and he adopted us into his family. Two points that are made here. Let me read you the verses. Even before he made the world, God loved us. Whoa. What do you mean before he made the world, God loved us? God loved me before he created the world? According to scripture. If you haven't allowed the spirit of God to enlighten your mind, would you let it happen right now? He knew you before the world was formed. That's awesome. God is God. He has the capacity that we don't have. 
Even before the world was made, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Holy and without fault in his eyes. Read verse 5, please. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ, bringing us to himself through Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great, say it, pleasure. It gave God incredible pleasure to choose you and to adopt you into his family. Joy. Um, two things there, you know. What, God chose me. What does that mean that God chose me, God chose you? What it means is he wanted you, for some reason, to be his. He longed for it. He desired it. And he reached out, as I have described, by his spirit, and he drew you to himself, and he gave you faith. And he identified you as one of those people to be in relationship with him so that you might know his love and his grace and his mercy and his peace, his provision, his care, his joy. And then it says in these verses that then he adopted us. It's like he made it official. In this culture, it's much like today. Kids who weren't part of the family become officially part of the family. And he did that by uniting you and me with Jesus. Made it real. Now, I have, a, uh, I have friends who uh, probably 15, 14 years ago now went to China to adopt a little baby girl. Um, they had a son uh, very happily, but they decided for a second child, we want to do this. So they flew, I believe, to Shanghai. Details getting a little foggy now, but I think it was Shanghai. And, and they were ready to meet their little girl, but the Chinese authorities had different ideas. And they said, well, we want to take you to this very famous Chinese location, tourist attraction. We want to take you here, and we want to take you there. And it's important that parents would become familiar with the Chinese culture and have familiarity of the area in which the little girl grew up and so forth. But day after day went by, and all they wanted to do was meet this little one. Um, and then eventually a day came, and they were in a hotel room, and uh, they were by themselves. All the other prospective parents weren't there, just on their own, and the door opened, and into the room walked a little Chinese girl. No, she was carried in. I'm sorry. She was about one. And the little girl was placed in their arms. And they said this was no different than when they had given birth to their son. Tears flowed. Bonding happened immediately. Love was present and powerful. See, they chose to adopt that little girl. They didn't have to. But they did, and they went to a great extent financially in terms of distance to make it happen. And then they adopted that little one to make that child a full member of their family forever. Now, you're getting this, right? Tell me you're getting this. <laughs> For whatever reason, if you are in Christ, God has chosen you. And he has gone to a great extent in order even to the point of allowing his son or having his son come into this world and die on a cross to bear your sin, your penalty, in order to not only choose you, but then adopt you into his family to make you his. See, resistance to these ideas come from a deep and unyielding belief that God isn't the God I've just described to you from Scripture. Um... 
Resistance to this comes from a deep and unyielding belief that God is un, uh, displeased with us and disappointed with us, even angry with us because of our sin. You know it. And that's our constant temptation. How can God love me? Look at all the bad things I do. Isn't he mad at me? Isn't he more ready to punish me than to celebrate me? Um... I want to tell you, my friends, that's a lie. And you can build a false identity on it if you wish, but the God of heaven and earth is described in these verses I've described to you. I want to read Ephesians 1, verses 3 and 4. Ephesians 1, by the way, big deal when it comes to identity. If you want to study it on your own, you can. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is blessed as in every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. Because we are what? United with Christ. Even before he made the world, there it is again. God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. <laughs> you know what that says? It's so simple. We just believe it. But when God the Father looks at us, we who are caught up in Christ, we are holy and without fault. He doesn't see us. He doesn't see our sin. It was dealt with on the cross. It's done. It's gone. He sees Jesus. And he sees the righteousness of Christ. There's no reason for him to be displeased or unhappy or angry and ready to punish and condemn. The punishment has been done. The condemnation is over. It all happened on the cross. And I want to tell you this is the amazing truth of Christianity, which we have to start to believe to the core of our being. We have to reject the lie and we have to understand the reality of who we are in Christ. Always remember, my friends, and personalize this, please, if you're in Christ, if you have not yet come to that place of faith, this is somewhere you can get in a big hurry by saying yes to Jesus and following him. But in the cross, Jesus took your sin, yours past, present, and future. And you were given his righteousness. It's now yours. It's a gift that God gave to you. So sin is gone, judgment is over, and there is, as Romans 8 verse 1 says, no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, and there never will be. Pretty good, huh? It's awesome. Let me just say this before we wind down. This is why Christianity, hear me, my friends, is not about our moral behavior. When the church kind of declines in its messaging about what this, 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 this truth is, it, it comes to a place where it's all about me and it's all about whether I sin or whether I don't and how well I behave before God. And It's not about you and it's not about your moral behavior. Christianity at its heart is about Jesus Christ and his cross. Now, what happens when we embrace this belief that I'm describing to you? What happens in a human heart? I'll tell you, it'll dramatically impact how you and I live. Um, because when we figure out who we are in Christ... When we are transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit making us new and birthing us into a new reality, 
we change deep down inside, and nobody has to tell us what to do. We long to do what is right and true and good. It is our passionate desire to please the God who has loved us so profoundly in Christ and who loves us still and finds joy in his kids. We love him because he first loved us, 1 John says. We love him. And our relationship with this God is, it's not, this is what I've said before this series is about, it's relationship. It's not about this angry God in heaven who's ready to pounce and punish and, and who is displeased and, you know, and us kind of quivering in fear in case God finds out and someday will do so if we're in Christ. It's not about that. It's about a God who is in heaven and who loves us and who finds joy in us and who has forgiven us and sees us only through the righteousness of Jesus because guess what? We are united to him. Here's the heart of the Christian faith. And here's who you are. God in Christ died for you to forgive you, to unite him to yourself so that you could be a child of God. That is who you are. Precious, fiercely loved, one in whom God delights and finds great joy. Take that to heart. Not only will your relationship with God change, your life will change. I'm telling you right now, um, understand the truth. My friends, let it set you free. I want to finish with 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. It's in the message paraphrase of the Bible, but I love it. What marvelous love the Father has extended to us. Another translation says the Father has lavished on us. You know, that's, that's the reality. Just look at it. That's my whole talk this morning. Just look at it. See it. Dwell upon it. We're called children of God. That's who we really are. That's who we really are. Here's my challenge for you. Look at this. Look at it. Believe it. Understand the truth of God in Christ as you are in Him. Understand you are His child. He has made it that way. And you forever will be. Let's pray. God, we just have to uh, look to you and trust you. Trust what you have spoken in Scripture. Believe it to our core. Understand our true identity. <laughs> and know life in Jesus as a result. Holy Spirit of God, come to us and help us to embrace this. Lord, if there are people here who no, they're not in Christ. I pray that you will help them get into him, that they will come to that place of opening their lives to him and seeking his forgiveness and knowing your grace and committing themselves with passion and purposefulness to following after him. I pray for that, Lord, that they too might know this reality. But God, for the many people who have already done it, I pray that they'll believe the truth and that the truth will set them free and that they'll know a new relationship with you and a new life 
and following after Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with us?